0: Hi, listeners, we're doing something a little different today and sharing with you a preview of a show we love, Revisionist History. You might be familiar with Revisionist History, its best-selling author Malcolm Gladwell's podcast that re-examined something from the past and asks whether we got it right the first time. This season, Malcolm's obsessed with experiments, natural experiments, scientific experiments, thought experiments. His obsession takes him everywhere from Salt Factories to the set of the original A Star Is Born movie. The goal is to get us to approach evidence and that what-if question with more open minds. And this episode preview you're about to hear is a perfect example of why that is important. Back in the 1930s, a guy named Paul Madden ran the California Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. He was responsible for stopping the use of illegal drugs in the state at a time when anti-drug crusaders feared doctors might be driving drug addiction. So he enacted an expensive, burdensome, annoying bit of bureaucratic anti-drug hysteria known as triplicate program, and it made every doctor in the state miserable because it involved a ton of paperwork around prescribing addictive painkillers and nobody likes paperwork. But Madden insisted this kind of paperwork would save lives. Fast forward to the 1990s and the early 2000s, when opioids were being prescribed as painkillers at a rapid rate and killing tens of thousands of Americans due to overdoses. The government looked to Madden's triplicate program as a way of preventing the epidemic. A handful of states started their own triplicate prescription programs, but most ignored the warning signs. The result was a devastating natural experiment. Scientists can now compare the number of lives that were saved in the triplicate states versus the lives that were lost in those that didn't. Okay, here's the preview. We hope you enjoy it. You can hear the full episode and more from Revisionist History wherever you get your podcast.
1: In 1939, Paul Madden was appointed to run the California Bureau of Narcotic Enforcement. He was the man responsible for stopping the use of illegal drugs in the state of California, a job he tackled with enthusiasm and his customary hyperbole. Let me quote directly from his writing on the effects of marijuana. Madden wrote that the user might, quote, Believe himself so small. That he is afraid to step off the curbstone into the street, or he may feel himself of enormous size and of superhuman strength and passion, and in that condition commit crimes altogether foreign to his nature. But because Paul Madden was a progressive, he didn't just fulminate against a problem. He had a whole carefully thought out scheme for using the enlightened power of government to fix it. Consider the great fear of anti drug crusaders of that era, which was that doctors, might be driving drug addiction.
0: What if the person gets the script from the doctor and goes down and keeps some of the drugs for himself and then sells some of the drugs on the street? Then you're going to have the problem of the initiation of, of new addicts potentially if, if that
1: happens. David Cortright, who is America's leading historian of the drug trade, says that people were worried that patients could walk into the doctor's office asking for an addictive drug like morphine and the doctor would just give it to them. So say they were a small number of doctors who are relatively unscrupulous, who are simply writing prescriptions for maintenance, and much of that drug may end up being diverted. How would I identify the doctor who's doing that?
0: So one of the things you might do is send an informer to the doctor, and He would try to persuade, typically it was a he, he would try to persuade the doctor to write a prescription.
1: In California, Paul Madden looks at that practice of running sting operations against shady doctors and says, that's a crude and inefficient way of dealing with the problem. Remember, he's a good progressive, a man who believes in systems and procedures. So Madden decides to create a bureaucratic solution. First, Madden makes a list of all the prescription painkillers that he considers dangerously addictive—morphine, opium, codeine, chloral hydrate—and then he convinces the state legislature to create a new regulation for doctors. Chapter 3, Article 1, Section 11166.06 of the California Narcotics Act, the Madden Amendment of 1939. The prescription blanks shall be printed on distinctive paper, serial number of the book being shown on each form,
0: and also each form being serially numbered. Each prescription blank shall
1: be printed in triplicate with one blank attached to the book in such a manner that it will be readily removed, while two of the blanks shall be perforated for removal. Meaning, every time a physician prescribes one of the listed painkillers, they have to use a special state-issued prescription pad, where every prescription page comes equipped with two additional carbon copies. To use a contemporary turn of phrase, he wants to create a backup of every narcotic prescription in the state. The first copy was to be kept at the office of the prescribing physician for a minimum of two years, available for scrutiny at any time by one of Madden's team of inspectors. Copy number two had to be kept by the pharmacist for two years. And number three had to be mailed by the pharmacist to the Bureau of Narcotics head office in San Francisco. A record of physician and pharmacist behavior in triplicate. A textbook example of progressive big brother in action. Now, why did I think of Sid Wolf when I heard about Paul Madden? Because Madden seemed to me like SID 1.0, the 1930s edition. Different context and emphasis, of course, but the same playbook, the same urgency, the same relentlessness. The government needs to fix things. And here is my 29-point plan to accomplish that, which I'm forwarding over to you right now. Call me when you get it. Right away. This is too big to wait.
0: So, you know, SID was... His hair was always on fire about
1: something, My memories of Sid is you would never know when you would get off the phone.
0: That's true. That's true. I mean, I've even talked to him recently about some stuff I've done. And um, he'll not just talk to you. Then the information starts flowing. In those days, the facts started to churn because that's how we got stuff. But Sid was like, I would go out to lunch. And if there was a pile of fax paper on my desk, it would be like, Sid struck
1: How many forests were sacrificed to feed Sid's fax machine? God only knows. In any case, I moved on. I left the Washington Post and forgot all about Sid and his fixations. And then I heard about an experiment. And it all came flooding back.
0: Once you've found the right doctor and have told him or her about your pain. Don't be afraid to take what they give you. Often, it will be an opioid medication.
1: Beginning in the late 1990s, a catastrophe unfolded in cities and towns around the United States. Opioid overdoses, people suffering a cascade of terrifying effects, pinpoint pupils, labored breathing, respiratory arrest, choking, purple lips, loss of consciousness, and in what has now been over 800,000 cases. Death. There's no question that our
0: best, strongest pain medicines are the opioids. They don't wear out, they go on working. They do not have serious medical side effects. And so these drugs, which I repeat, are our best, strongest pain medications, should be used much more than they are for patients in pain.
1: At the heart of the crisis was a class of new, powerful painkillers that came on the market in the 1990s, especially OxyContin, launched in 1996 by the Purdue Pharmaceutical Company. OxyContin is highly addictive, and Purdue promoted it to doctors more heavily than any other painkiller in history. By 2002, Purdue had thousands of salespeople around the country pushing OxyContin, This went on for more than a decade until doctors were prescribing $3 billion worth of OxyContin a year. But even after 20 years of the opioid epidemic, there were all kinds of questions. Like, was OxyContin the cause of the overdose epidemic or just a symptom of something deeper? And even more puzzling, Why didn't opioids cause the same level of devastation everywhere? Take Massachusetts and New York, two states side by side. If you run every significant fact about Massachusetts and New York through an algorithm, you'll find there are almost no two states more alike. Same population profile, same basic economy, same levels of poverty, very similar rural urban mix. You'd think they would have had similar experiences with overdoses. They didn't. Massachusetts has had a bloodbath. New York, not so much. Same thing with New York and New Jersey. Super similar states by any measure. So why did New Jersey suffer so much more than its neighbor? Purdue would end up in bankruptcy court as a result of multiple lawsuits launched against them for misleading marketing practices. And not long ago, four economists, Abby Alpert, William Evans, Ethan Lieber, and David Powell, realized that the mountains of internal Purdue documents unearthed in those lawsuits might hold some answers.
0: I mean, so there were hundreds and hundreds of pages of documents, some of which was not very interesting.
1: That's Abby Alpert, lead author of the paper, the four of them ended up publishing, Origins of the Opioid Crisis and Its Enduring Impacts.
0: But then when we, when we happened upon the focus group research, especially, and, and the launch plan, um, that really was the basis for a lot of what we talk about in this paper.
1: Buried in that mountain of documents was an internal Purdue report on a series of focus groups that the company held with physicians. This was in the spring of 1995, right before the launch of OxyContin. The focus group report runs to almost 60 pages, And in that long, buried document, one phrase kept popping up again and again. The phrase coined by Paul Madden half a century earlier. Triplicate prescriptions.
0: So I had never heard of a triplicate program, and it's not something that was being discussed in the research on opioids.
1: I mean, why would it be? Nobody really liked triplicates. For decades, no one followed California's lead in imposing this special requirement for prescribing painkillers. Drug makers, of course, hated the idea. So did doctors and state lawmakers. In the early 1980s, the state of Texas did start a triplica program, and the state narcotics division in Austin had to hire 33 data entry clerks who in the first year mailed out 27,800 triplica prescription pads to doctors around the state. The doctors then had to write a check for $7 for every pad they used, mail the check back to Austin, use the special pad every time they prescribe anything off the restricted list, keep the pink copy in their office for two years, send the green and the blue copy with the patient to the pharmacist, etc., etc. I mean, triplicate was the kind of bureaucratic nitpickiness that drives people in the medical world crazy. The few states that did try out triplicate programs usually drop them.